As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way Give all that we got, We'd like to welcome IHRA back for the 2019 season, partnering with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. IHRA will once again be bringing the Summit Sportsman Spectacular Series to IHRA tracks all over the country. They kick off the season February 1st through 3rd at State Capitol Raceway in Port Allen, Louisiana. Stay tuned for more details. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Rumor has it, the boys are back. <laughs> What's up, Luke? Good to hear your voice, Big Jet. It has been a while since we have uh, shared the airwaves. It has been a while. Uh, you know, and we, we love racing, both of us, and we love the podcast, and we appreciate our listeners. But it's it's been nice to step away just a little bit and get refreshed and get ready to go for a big 2019 season. So uh, I've somewhat enjoyed a little bit of a break. But looking forward to getting back into action now. Yeah, you won't hear any arguments from this end either, but at the same time, what as we record this, it's late January, there's, there's smell of race gas in the air in the not-too-distant future, 
I'm getting a little bit fired up about it. I'm uh, I'm ready to delve into 2019, and with a with a little bit of a renewed vigor after a couple of months. Not necessarily off. We've been doing a lot of interviews, catching up with uh, a lot of the movers movers and shakers of the sport. That's been fun. But I'm ready to get back to talking a little bit of racing. I think the natural place to start here, Big Jed. We haven't talked like week by week results since what late november there's actually been a little bit of racing that's gone on since then we'll start with some thanksgiving weekend festivities and big jed we really missed yet another window of opportunity here didn't we yeah we really did um you know we like to get winners of big races on the show and we're going to have this guy on the show pretty soon to to talk about a lot of things racing but hot rod fincham Fast and Fincham, we all know him, watch the videos, we keep up with him on Facebook. He won the Thanksgiving tradition 20K foot break race at uh, Piedmont Dragway, put on by Loose Rocker. You know, of course, Michael Beard and Anthony Walton put on that event, have done it now for many years. They were faced with some challenging weather, but as they always do, made great decisions, got the racing in, and Hot Rod Fincham come out the victor in that 20k luke again we've talked about equipment weapons that people use hot rods doing it uh, a little different than most of us you know going what 780s or whatever it is in his big tire falcon but if by doing a little bit doing it a little bit differently you mean that most of us do not have a window unit in the side of our pickup truck (laughs) yes he is doing it a little bit differently Yes, he he does it a little bit different, but it works extremely well for him. And this guy works hard on his racing program. He'll tell you he's not all about the flash. You know, he's not trying to look great, but he prepares his car well, and it shows. The car's really good, especially for the ETs that it runs. And we know how great Hot Rod is, and he took a monster win, 20K footbreak race win and Thanksgiving weekend there in Piedmont. So good for Hot Rod. And again, just like I said, we're going to have him on the show very soon. Looking forward to hearing not only about his racing adventures, but Hot Rod has um, created a Fast and Fincham following that is really, really impressive. And some companies are getting involved with him, which is great to see. And he does a great job on the marketing side for them. So we're going to hear a lot about Hot Rod and, and what he's got going on in racing when he gets on the show very soon. Yeah, no, to be clear, uh, Hot Rod Fincham personifies what sportsman drag racing at its core is supposed to be all about and, and, and is all about. To see him have success, especially at that level, is awesome. And what he's done with it is more awesome yet. So, yeah, again, we've kind of missed that that golden opportunity to catch up with him right on the heels of that. But that, as Jed alluded to, that will be on the near horizon. We'll have have Hot Rod on the show with us. In addition to the Thanksgiving festivities, Big Jed, the year kind of wrapped up with a bit of a New Year's Eve celebration. It was uh, two 10-granders, both top bulb and bottom bulb, down at Moroso. Actually, the race was called something to do with Moroso. It's at Palm Beach International Raceway. No shock here. Like It was uh, it was two days of racing. Again, big, big money, top bulb, big money, bottom bulb. Uh, your winners, Stephen McCrory, household name, Gage Birch won both on in the junior dragster side and on the bottom bulb side and how fitting was it jed or at least it feels fitting that 2018 ended with the the biggest purse of the weekend going 
back to Ohio with Kenny Underwood. If there is ever a microcosm for a season, that is it. And not only did Kenny Underwood win that final $10,000 race, the final big check of the season, I believe he had two entries in at five, maybe at three. And then he beat Gary Williams in the final, in a final round matchup of the only two people in history to have won $2 million races. Again, fitting that this season ends that way and fitting given the way that 2018 shook down that Kenny Underwood ended up on top because that's the way that 2018 went. It was the year of Skinny Kenny. <laughs> it definitely was. And we, we talked about it at a pretty much seemed like every show. Uh, Kenny was dominating a race here, there, and everywhere. But And we said this many times, but that was obviously a cap to what to me is the greatest racing season in sportsman bracket racing history. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, we we said that at nauseum, I guess, but it, it was it was so impressive that you know anytime somebody gets on a winning streak, it's impressive. But he he maintained it, Luke, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and on the biggest stages that our sport has to offer, and you know just so humble, skinny Kenny out there doing his thing and collecting big checks all year long and. Uh, it got to where it was an expectation, which is, you know, you, you don't do that in our sport. You don't go expecting to win at that level like he did. But it became an expectation for me to see his name on the check, and he just kept delivering. So congratulations again to Skinny Kenny for wrapping up his 2018 season in the right way. As we uh, as we turn the calendar, both, I guess, physically and, and theoretically, to 2019, Big Jet, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity here to uh, to share some of the events that you're most looking forward to in 2019. But I think the highlight for most of us, whether it's as a competitor or simply as a spectator, to watch this go down from a sportsman drag racing standpoint as a whole, and specifically within the big dollar bracket arena, just the idea that there are four, they're not all called million dollar races, but four races that are going to guarantee what, a quarter million dollars to win, two of which will guarantee a half a million dollars to win? I mean, if you had told me, Jed, five years ago, that there would be a race that rivaled the million-dollar race in terms of purse, a second one each season, I would have been surprised. And obviously that came to fruition, what, three years ago with the Spring Fling Million. So there was two millions on, on opposite coasts at opposite times of year, and now suddenly, just a couple of years removed from that, we have four separate events, The those two millions, uh, quote unquote, that are, I think, both guaranteeing a quarter million dollars or close to that. I don't, Randy hasn't come out with the details for the million, but it's it, they're going to do something along those lines to kind of mirror or, or, you know, be along the same lines so that sure. they are, are paying as much as the others. And then we have two races that are going to guarantee half a million dollars to win in the uh, SFG 500 at Martin, Michigan, and the Fall Fling at Fall Fling 500. Is that what they're calling it? Yes, 500, yeah. Fall Fling 500K. In Bristol, and that's just when you put it in that context and that perspective that five years ago, like, we never thought there'd be two of these. There's four in one season. So that's going to be so cool, A, to see a seemingly four different. I mean, it'd be an even better story if somebody verdied them 
right? And, and won a couple <laughs> of these. But to see four people, four racers earn, you know, life-changing money and, and career-changing accomplishment in one season, that's going to be awesome. And then just the story of all of this going on and seeing if all four of these races can succeed and be successful and be sellouts. And like, I think that's probably all going to happen. It's just, wow, that's a lot of money. You know what I mean? It's to go from having one of those races being successful to four in one year. It's pretty incredible. So that stands out to me for 2019. And then there's some other events that I'll get to that, that, um, get me excited that I'd like to see more of, but what about on your end, big Jed, whether it's a bottom bulb door car or whatever, like what's got you the most fired up for 2019? The most fired up, um, obviously, for me, is the three uh, events that that Peter and Kyle put on and Emily. I get to be a part of those. I get to work them, travel around, go to Vegas, go to Galat, go to Bristol. So those have me excited. I don't get the vacation time that I'd like to get to be able to hit all of these premier events, uh, nor do they align with my uh, racing budget, but... Really excited to see how a lot of that stuff plays out from the the races you talked about and the, the 250 and more payouts. But for me, it's the 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 races, the flings. It's of course the million in Montgomery. I worked that one as well. So that's four events on my schedule each year that look forward to. Definitely looking forward to the Dream Team Challenge. Our team captain Larry Martin is building a, a brand new chassis for his car so we're all fired up our team's fired up ready to go out there and compete looking forward to that as well we didn't show as well as we wanted to last year so we're excited about that excited to see how loose rockers uh, bigfoot 40 race works out for the foot brake racers the week after the vegas million uh, that will be over here on the east coast that's now 10 40 and 10 instead of all 40s so I expect that change to go very well for Loose Rocker and the racers. I think it's going to make it fit in their budget a little better and it should be very well attended. And we know those guys make really good decisions. And uh, outside of that, the World Foot Brake Challenge always has me excited. You know, some really good things happening there this year that we're excited about and looking forward to announcing. And um, JJ and I love coming to I-57 Drag Strip for the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. So just a few races on our list that we know we're going to make Luke and excited about and looking forward to all of them. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree on all fronts that that stuff is all good stuff. The ones that I'll be attending of the, that you had mentioned. Yeah, I'll be super excited about and the ones that I won't, I'll be looking forward to watching two that I wanted to highlight specifically. I'm a fan of the track hosted big dollar event because when I started kind of big dollar racing, that was a thing. Right. Tracks hosted their own money races and by and large gotten away from that. Like there's a promoter involved for the most part or a series involved. And I sung the praises last season of the job that the folks at Byron Dragway did for their Firecracker Nationals, which was just a track hosted last year. It was a 30 grand or 100 grand or 50 grander. And it was just really well run, really cool structure. And they've actually, in my mind, improved that for this season. It's the same date. It's like the second weekend in July. But this year they took the entry from, uh, I think it was a 400 car field a year ago. They took it down to 256 
and the purse structure changed just a little bit. Now it's 3,130. And obviously the entry fee went up because there's just over half the number of cars. And maybe I'm in the minority here, Judd. In fact, judging from the participation, I probably am in the minority. But I would much rather, as a racer, pay a little extra money to deal with fewer cars. Not that it makes the race any easier to win. You know, I mean, in some cases, it might save one round. I guess that could be a big deal. But just the idea of maybe I'm getting old. Like, I just don't like the marathon. You know what I mean? I don't like dealing with 500 cars and race until three in the morning. Like, limiting this to 256, like, that's really, really appealing to me because I know that it's going to be a condensed, efficient race because that's the way Byron runs their stuff to begin with. And then just the idea that. Like you're, it's whatever. It's a with a buyback. I guess it's a nine round race, but you're gonna run rounds within a couple hours of one another throughout the day, and it's just to me way more enjoyable. Like I really like that structure, and I just give kudos to the race tracks that are able to put this on on their own. And I'll dig a little bit deeper into that in a moment. But the other one, the other event, and I guess events, plural, would be the way to characterize these is at Norwalk, because what has always been the 10 Grand Nationals, they just quadrupled it. Now it's the 40 Grand Nationals. (laughs) And I don't know, Jed, if you've looked at the flyer for this. Again, I love the idea that this is something that Billy and the staff at Summit Raceway Park, uh, Summit Motorsports Park, is putting on on their own, right? Because if anybody can pull it off, it's them. And I think Byron paved the way last year. But the structure of this race is unbelievable. I mean, the the winners' purses are great. It's fifteen grand to win Friday, forty thousand to win Saturday, twenty thousand to win Sunday for a fair entry fee. But what got my attention is the payback. Like the runner-up purse in each day is half the winners' purse. That means the forty grander, twenty grand runner-up. Like if you get to that point, there's no reason to split. You're yeah. getting twenty grand in the final. You know how upset could you be? Semis five grand. Quarterfinals, $2,500. Eighth finals, $1,000. Like on down, the payback is unbelievable. And I just like the structure of it. I think it's limited to 425 cars. I don't believe that there's a double entry, which does make me question the one thing on the flyer, Jed. We laughed about this off air. It says six chances to win on the flyer. <laughs> six chances to win until once. What am I missing, Billy? It's a three-day race. And I don't think you can double enter. So why why do I have six chances to win? But regardless, I do love the format and I'm nitpicking. And then you take that and they're basically, they've copied that same format for their annual no box bonanza is everything's just cut in half. So it's 7,500 to win Friday, 20 grand to win Saturday, 10 grand to win Sunday. But same deal, the runner up purse, half the winner's purse. Semis of each race. The semifinal, a race that pays $7,500 to win, gets $2,500. Quarterfinal gets twelve fifty. Like that's an incredible payback person. It pays yeah. back to what is it, third round losers? Third round winners, maybe. Yeah. Regardless. Winners. Like it's a very deep payback for a fair entry fee. Like it's a good race. And I guess why I want to shed so much light on these track hosted events. And keep in mind as I say this, like I understand how hypocritical this sounds coming from me or and or if you feel the same way, Jed, coming from us, because obviously we each promote events. But big picture, and again, maybe I'm standalone in this, it works better for our sport as a whole if the racetracks do them themselves, do put the put on these events themselves. The reason being the money, the the profit, assuming that it's a successful event and there is a profit, it stays with the racetracks and or the racers. Right? Ultimately either one benefits our sport long term. 
the reason that promoters do so well in this day and age, it's, it's two reasons. A, and I think probably the most common reason, is that the racetracks can't do this or don't care to do this. Like in the grand scheme of owning a racetrack, putting on a big dollar bracket race is a very specific – I've always said niche, Jed. I think it's niche. Is it really? I think it's a niche market. Mm. We'll, we'll look that up and get back should to it. Should be we'll, niche. We'll, should be niche, like scratching that niche. <laughs> we'll get producer Mark to uh, double check that. I'm sure I'm wrong. But I, I, I keep hearing niche, and I, I think that's right. Anyway, that specific niche, niche, I don't think that's a word at all. Niche or niche <laughs> market is something that I don't think necessarily a lot of uh, racetracks care to cater to. Like you think about the broad spectrum of what all they do. And in a lot of cases, it's simpler, it's easier, and it's, to be quite frank, more successful to bring in someone that is deeply involved in that specific portion of the market. That's why promoters are successful. And the reason that we as promoters or, or any promoter is successful is because the racers trust us. Like That's the trust that Peter Biondo and Kyle Seipel have built up, the trust that Michael Beard and Anthony Walton have built up, that you and Steve have built up, et cetera, right? Sure. But I do think ultimately... If a racetrack can bridge that gap, then again, uh, you cut the promoter out of the picture, so to speak. And long term, look, looking down from a helicopter view, it's better for the sport if the profits from this go to A, the racetracks, B, the racers, because ultimately that benefits all of us. So I, I kudos to the folks at Byron, to Billy Bader and the staff at Norwalk. I hope that these races take off and are well represented and i'm really confident that in this case both of them will because those are two really really excellent facilities under amazing management and my hope then is that it um, empowers some other facilities some other track owners to follow that lead because i don't think that it's a huge ask for racetracks to put on successful big dollar races of their own yeah, very well said, Luke. That's um, it is good for the sport, and you know there there's always going to be competition, whether it's amongst promoters that just do this part time or tracks competing with one another. So you know I, I get how some people just feel like big money racing, no matter who's putting it on, is damaging our sport. But these things are really good. It's good for track owners. It's good for the locals that get to compete at their home track for this. And it's good for the people that travel in. So can't find anything wrong at all with the way these events are being put together by these uh, great management teams and facilities. And I expect just like you, both of these to go, or actually all three of these events that you discussed to go extremely well. All right. On our related note sort of i mean i guess we're going to pivot a little bit here in the podcast but not much this is along the same lines <laughs> i'm gonna get it let me get a deep breath here Luke, just. well i'm gonna let you bring this in because i want you to give some context and explain and kind of bring the listener up to date as to what happened with this no limit promotions kind of fiasco and the resolution to it as far as we know before we get deeper into the discussion so take the reins Right, so real quickly, I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody's seen it. We discussed it a little bit towards the end of our regular recordings uh, last year, but this is not a personal attack on anybody. So nobody take this wrong. Just basically bringing up the facts and what happened. Wesley Washington Jr. promoted his uh, the No Limit 
uh, events, triple 25s, triple crown 25s, I think is what he called it. And we know at the end of the year, their send-off event where uh, Will Holloman won a $50,000 race. Uh, his check was not good. It was non-cashable at the time. And I think there was some discussion between him and Wesley that, you know, told him that, but there was also seemingly from the outside looking in some discussions that said, here's how this is going to go down. This is what I'm going to do to make you whole. And we're going to be good. Maybe not necessarily by this date, but in this amount of days, weeks, whatever. Apparently that did not go as planned or at least the plan that Will heard. So uh, he went public with the information and some things started happening around Facebook and other social media that basically since Danny Waters Jr. was the face of the promotion and his name was on the big checks and he was in all the pictures and all those things that Danny had some stake in the game and needed to needed to, I guess, go down with Wesley, if you will. And Danny come on, defended himself, uh, which I thought he did it in a in a classy way. I don't think he, I don't think he backed out of responsibility per se, but he basically said, "I'm not a financial member of No Limit Promotions. I was hired to come in and help promote and do these things." And of course, as Facebook and social media. Uh, I guess, reacts to those things. And, you know, he was basically being held to the same standard that Wesley was. Your name's on the checks. Your face is on all the pictures. You're the one that talked me into coming. So, yeah, you do have some financial responsibilities there. After it got about as ugly as you'd want to see something get, it appears as though Danny Waters stepped in and said, you know what? We need this to go away, and if Wesley's going to owe somebody, he's going to owe me. So apparently, DW stepped in and helped out and got Will made whole for what. And, and it wasn't he didn't owe him fifty grand, or nobody owed him fifty grand. Obviously, we know the purses get split. He had a portion; he was paid part of it, to my knowledge, and there was maybe ten thousand dollars or so remaining that Will had not gotten. DW stepped in and I think said, this will be between Wesley and I. He can pay me when things get squared up for him and Will can get his money, be made whole and we'll squash all this. And that's what it looks like happened as far as the winner's check goes, Luke. But that's not really all of the story, as you know. Well, first off, I love what you did there. And I'm sure our listeners caught it. Will made whole. That's a good play on words. It's like, <laughs> I got to give you some credit there. <laughs> With an accident. And then, <laughs> really? Okay, I, it sounded planned out. I think you might have sat in front of the mirror this morning with that one. Um, no, this is obviously, you could imagine, like, put yourself in, in our shoes here as a listener. This is a tricky spot because, first off, like, kudos to DW because uh, ultimately I think that whether that was his responsibility or not, and I don't know the details of his agreement with Wesley, that's the way to kind of wash your hands of it, right? And, and ultimately preserve what I think is his good name in DW's case. So kudos to him um, yeah. for handling it the way that he did. And 
ultimately. You know, I mean, I guess you could knock him for not doing that earlier, but it may not have been as clear earlier. You know what I mean? Like, I don't fault that. And this is rough because, just full disclosure, personally, and Jed, I think you're the same way. I'm a big fan of Danny Waters Jr., right? Yes. Like, I, I like DW a lot. And to be completely frank, I'm a big fan of Wesley. Like, yes. I. I've always gotten along really good with Wesley, and I know just from talking with him that there is a little bit of a backstory here, but I'm just telling you, and I think he would be the first to admit, like, I can't come on here and defend what's happened. You can't. You know what I mean? This this obviously didn't go well. It's obviously not a good look, and uh, without knowing the details, it's hard to say that Wesley was in the right here. So this is obviously a bad look for him and this race series. And from what I understand, at least the plan is that Wesley and and No Limit Promotions are going to continue in the future. Like, that's a slippery slope, right? Like, at this point, who knows? Like, I, I really do deep down believe, like, Wesley's a really good dude. I like him a lot. But good luck recovering from this right because it seems oh. i don't say insurmountable but man that's that's a tough road to hoe at this point right yes very tough from a, a bigger picture a broader view i think it goes without saying that this instance hurts our, our sport and like big dollar bracket racing in general for obvious reasons it hurts more so a budding promoter that's not as established because it's obvious now that trust must be earned. I guess that's always been obvious, but situations like this remind us not to take that for granted as racers. So, like in your case, Jed, you and Steve, you guys have been putting on the World Footbrake Challenge for what, over a decade? Yep, 13th year right here. And your racers obviously know that you're a man of your word, that you and Steve will, are going to do everything that you said you're going to do because that's what you've done for the last 12 years. Similar to any established promoter, take whether it's Randy Folk or Beyondo and Seipel or Beard and Walton or on down the line, right? So this doesn't affect them. This impacts the guy that's standing there going, you know, I see an opportunity here and I want to put on 320 granders. I think it makes most racers think twice of who am I giving this entry fee or specifically this pre-entry fee money to? And am I 100% sure that if things go awry, that I'm going to race for what I think I'm going to race for when I write the check, right? That's always, I guess, been something that we should consider, but it's been so rare an instance like this where the money wasn't good that I think we tend to take it for granted. And this instance makes you realize like, hey, you can't take that for granted. The one possible exception, I guess, because I just listed off the the established promoters that I don't think will be affected by this at all, right? And I didn't mention Kyle Riley on that list, an SFG, which is unfair because I think, it's completely unfair, but I think that this is valid on some level if you can hear me out. Because say what you want about Kyle Riley and SFG and his events. And similarly here, like I like Kyle a lot. With that said, like I'm personally as a racer, I'm not a huge fan of his format. Again, kind of getting back to like I just don't like a ton of cars and a, and a marathon. And had the races that I've been to may have been a bad representation, but I'm not a huge fan of like the organization of their events, right? It just doesn't seem like things flow as well as some of the other races that I've been to. But with that said, he has for what three years now plus he has always done 
everything, basically from a purse standpoint, everything that he promised to do in terms of payout. And there were several occasions there where he had flop events that lost money. And those checks were always made good. But there is, Jed, like a dynamic, I guess, within our market that doesn't necessarily get talked about, certainly not publicly in in a platform like we have here. And that I don't think as a as a community we like to admit, there are racers, make no mistake, I would say a lot of racers who don't trust Kyle Riley, forget what's happened here with Wesley, like didn't trust Kyle Riley three years ago for no other reason than the color of his skin. Like that's a thing in 2019. And it's sad, but it's true. I know I'm not the only one. Like I've heard it. I've witnessed it. It's in the staging lanes, right? And let's face it, like most sportsman racers, most of our listeners, they look like me and you, Jed. Like we're middle-aged oh, white yeah. guys. Sure. Okay. So I'm not to say that there is, let's say this, to say that there is not a racial undertone in our sport is frankly somewhere between inaccurate and completely nonsensical. Like, if you truly believe that, you have your head in the sand. But Joe Hillbilly can't come out and say publicly, I'm not racing there. I ain't giving that black guy my money, right? Or what I hear more often, frankly, is I'm not letting that black guy hold my money pre-entry. Okay, that's not acceptable to say publicly. And even Joe Hillbilly knows that. But... That racer and those racers will say all day long that they'll stay away from those races for more politically correct reasons, even though I think the real reason is actually rooted in some form of racism. So now that same racer will say, see, like I've got precedent. I told you you can't give them black guys your money. This is what happens, which is wildly unfair. That's unfair to say that about Wesley, because the reason that this check isn't made good has nothing to do with the color of his skin. True. It's completely unfair, but I do think that some of it projects onto Kyle Riley and SFG, which is, in addition to being unfair, highly ironic, because as most of you know, Kyle and Wesley were once partners to some degree. They were in this together, and they didn't part ways amicably. So I think when wind of this gets out, like, I can just picture Kyle Riley sitting back and shaking his head and kind of enjoying, to some extent, Wesley's failure or, you know, kind of taking pleasure in this mess. But in the end, again, completely unfairly, if anyone currently established in the promoter space gets hurt by this at all, I, I think it's probably him. Yeah, uh- very good points, Luke, and, uh, you know, it's obviously a difficult subject to approach right here in the public's eye or in the public's ear in this case, but uh, I thought you uh, you handled that really well, and it's valid. I mean, we, we know that people make choices every day, the business they're going to do by the color of someone's skin, but as you mentioned, it is wildly unfair, and certainly um, you couldn't hold it against Kyle Riley the color of his skin and saying it's caused anything other than success. I mean, the guys wrapped up 2018, he and AJ with their events extremely well, as you said, done everything they were supposed to do, everything they guaranteed people they would do. I watched Kyle take a beating at the the one SFG race that I got to go to and, you know, he handled it professionally, did uh, 
did a really good job, and I know of some others that didn't go well. So uh, hats off to him, and again, hats off to you for being able to or being willing to say what a lot of people would say privately but not publicly and um, getting it out there. I think that was a, a job well done on that subject. Now let's pivot again to lighter subjects, some of the little bit more fun. The only thing really that jumps out to me, Jed, over the last couple of months from the NHRA, and I mean, whatever, we could talk about silly season and crew chief changes, but that's not us, right? That's not sportsman drag racing. As it applies to the sportsman ranks, a couple of changes to the the format of and I guess the schedule of both top dragster and top sportsman that seem to have everybody's attention that uh, is definitely been widely talked about. And the one main one, this really affects top dragster much more than top sportsman is the minimum dial for the class being moved from six flat, which it has been since the class's inception up to 610. And now a little bit of change in rules in general, because as it, as it had been up until December 31st, um, the fastest that you could dial was six flat. And if you went faster than six flat, say in a uh, qualifying run, that run just didn't count. And you were basically slapped on the wrist, I believe. I don't think there was anything more that come of it. And our listeners will correct me if I'm wrong. I believe if you won a double breakout in competition and went 599 on a six flat, there was no repercussion for that whatsoever. Now, the minimum is 610. And I believe that, uh, I don't have the rule in front of me, but if, I, if memory serves, you get to break that once. Okay, And if you break it again, you are disqualified from the event. So if you go 609 twice, you're done. And if you at any point go faster than six flat, so if you write, put five anything on the scoreboards, that's it. You're out, disqualification, no questions asked. Jed, I, I've got a few notes here, but anything from an outside perspective, like your thoughts on this change? I hate it. I mean, to me, standard breakout rules should apply. I get there's probably some other reasons why this is being done. You'll probably touch on that, but I just don't get how if a guy goes 599, he's completely done over it. Get out of here. Can't race with us anymore. And I don't like the going 609 twice rule or 609 or faster twice rule either just not a fan at all Luke. don't really understand it maybe you can give me a, a little better perspective on it but that's not the case there, there's et breaks for chassis all the way from you know whatever 11 seconds on down why don't we do that for everybody if that's the case my understanding is this, and keep in mind, this is just what I've heard along the way. I have not gotten official wording on this from NHRA, but it seems obvious in the in the move that this is all insurance related. There is a breaking point, I know, in um, terms of certification, if you do go faster than six flat, like that requires a top alcohol dragster cert. And my understanding of that is that while I think technically the majority of top dragster cars are quote unquote safe, like the, the tubing's thick enough and the, the bracing is there to be a top alcohol dragster entry. One of the huge caveats to run top alcohol dragster is that the chassis can't even be like painted or powder coated. And I assume that that is just to uh, check for stress cracks more easily. But there's very few top dragster cars that are not painted or powder coated. So that alone would prevent them from getting that certification, right? 
so I think that that's it mainly. It's it's an insurance issue. Like we can't have these cars going faster than six flat. So in order to remedy that, we're going to bump the the minimum dial up where you can't really go faster than six flat by mistake. I think is the idea. And then if you just um, don't abide by that whatsoever, then we have no choice but to throw you out. Okay, whatever. I don't like get my panties in a wad about this one way or the other. Like I would say that I'm neither opposed or in favor. Like whatever. I, again, I think that in, the reasoning here is largely insurance related. It seems like it does seem a little bit contradictory that we're in a sport that's kind of rooted in going fast and we're going to slow people down, right? But again, like a tenth of a second, like I don't think that anybody's any faster going 611 than they would have been going 6 or anyone's any safer, I should say, going 611 than they would have been going 601. So, you know, in yeah. reality, like what are we doing? What are we accomplishing? It does to me just reinforce what I said on the day that Top Dragster became a national category, you know, whatever that was four years ago. I, I said then that just give it five years, 10 years, whatever, it won't be long. And we can just call this class six flat heads up. Okay, now we can just call this class six ten heads up. It's going to turn into, and to some extent already has, super compound steroids, or like that's not even fair. It's super compound cocaine, meth, like whatever. <laughs> like there's a big difference between going 890 and 610, right? Don't let me fool you there. Which is cool, I think, but like just call it what it is. Like it's the fastest super class out there because that's what this is going to turn into. You're going to have, it may be a year down the road, it may be five years down the road, but you're going to have a 32 car field or maybe a 48 car field between. 610.1 and 6.15. You know what I mean? And it might as well just be 6.10 heads up, which is cool to me. But the point to me of all this is like, whatever. I don't care if it's 6 flat, 6.10. The point to me is one that I'll just circle back on because we've had this conversation several times. But the point to me is that NHRA is focused on what, at least from a racer standpoint, is the wrong things. Like, whatever. I realize that they need to cover their butt. You know what I mean? And they if they, if, they, if they stand to be in a lot of trouble for cars going 598, then they can't let fire, cars go 598. Fine. But the change that needs to be made here is uniformity of the class structure across all seven divisions. Whether that's a 32-car field, a 48-car field, they need to run the same race in Seattle as they do in Orlando. They need to run the same race in Pomona as they do in Epping. Right. And that doesn't happen right now. And that's the exact same thing that Paul Nero said when we had him on the podcast. Like he didn't necessarily advocate hugely for a 32 car versus a 48 car. He just said, look, it just makes sense. If we're going to crown a national champion, it should be the same across the board. That to me is the change that should take precedence. And there has been, to my knowledge, no movement in that direction whatsoever. And to reiterate again, Jed. If you give me the choice, me, Luke Bogacki, for what it's worth, somebody that has run top dragster like twice in my life, I'm in favor of 32. If those are the options, 32 cars or 48. But like, I get the argument for 48. You're not dumb if you tell me that it should be a 48-car field. If you told me, Luke, you need to be a lawyer and we're going to put you on the 32-car side of the, of the argument, like I could definitely argue that. If you tell me, Luke, you're a lawyer and we're going to pay you to be on the 48-car side of the argument, I could make a really good debate for 48. Like, I understand where that's coming from. My personal preference, I like 32, but I get it either way. I'm not here to debate it. Nero, again, said the same thing. It just needs to be uniform across the board. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think we, we definitely both were on that page last year when this was uh, one of our topics. But 
I should have said back to the minimum dial-in, I should have said, I don't think it's going to have an impact. Just like you said, you, you're not going to accidentally go 599 when you're trying to go 610. If you do, it might just be a, a deal where you have just really fast stuff and you're just now learning it. But the experienced guy's not going to be a problem here. That's one of the reasons why I just hate it so much because you might have a guy out there that's just not in tune to it yet and he's, he's still figuring things out and he might go 599 trying to go 610. And just to, you know, especially a newbie, just to put him out of the program, nah, just don't understand it at all. So hopefully yeah. that doesn't have an impact on anybody. No, I could see that. I think that's fair. And really and truly specific to like the pro charger combinations from, I, I know that there's been a lot of um, advancement made there over the last year or two, but I know well, several of those competitors that have been doing the pro charger thing for a long time that have had success that specifically when there's a pretty significant air change, like, those things are, can be really, really fickle. Like I could see somebody trying to go 612 and go, Oh my God, I went 598. Like that's not, that sounds ridiculous. It ain't that crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah, it'll be obviously, interesting. Obviously, they wouldn't do that week to week, but yeah, it could happen once here or there with a guy. So, yeah, hopefully it won't have an impact. We'll yeah, see. I mean, I've seen winning Pro Charger cars that the dial-in swung two-tenths throughout the weekend. You know what I mean? So you could come yeah. in with a 615 setup and literally have to change the tune-up at some point yeah. um, as the air came to you. But the other big announcement from the uh, Top Dragster, Top Sportsman fold since we last recorded Big Jed, they're coming to Indy. Yeah, that's big news, real big news. And I know those those hardcore Top Dragster, Top Sportsman guys are really excited about it. Yeah, I know when we talked with Ronnie Proctor, um, Top Sportsman World Champion, in his interview here on Elite, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, here on Elite, you can tell what I've been working on lately, <laughs> as well as Paul Nero's, like they both talked about how excited they were for Indy, both of them were planning on being there, Ronnie Proctor said it was like the next thing on his bucket list now, you know, he'll go down swing and he wants to win Top Sportsman at Indy, I think it's really, really cool, and I think it's a natural fit, because to me, those are the two most exciting classes that NHRA has to offer in the sportsman ranks. It makes sense that they would be contested at its biggest venue. I do worry a little bit about this taking away some of the indie from indie, right? And because what they've done here is if you've, because specifically if you competed in indie and you told me, as someone that's been now for the last ooh, seven, eight years. I don't think I missed one since uh, I went to my first in probably 2012, somewhere in there. But if you tell me like, okay, we're just going to add top direction and top sports on, so we're going to put 80 more cars in the pits, I'd just laugh. I'd be like, there's not 80 more places to park, right? It's, yeah. it's India is a huge facility, but I mean, there's what, eight, 900 entries? It's full. So what they've done is they are going to limit the entry in stock and super stock, which is a 128-car qualified field. But for as long as I can remember, they took 180 entrants. So yes, so you can do the quick math and realize 50-plus did not qualify, went home before eliminations. So in order to, to quote-unquote, make room for, quite literally, really, for top sportsman or top dragster, those fields have been reduced to 150, which on the periphery, 
makes no difference. That's still well over 128. You're still going to have a full qualified field and you're still going to send racers home. So in theory, that shouldn't hurt anything. In fact, in theory, you would say, okay, well, you just take away the 30 lowest qualifiers, the 30 guys that were no close to nowhere near the bump. But in reality, if you un- have entered an NHRA national event and know how the process works, it's not that simple. What this is going to do is keep out the people that don't have the grade points, which now I would imagine in stock and super stock, like it's going to take six, seven, eight grade points to even enter Indy. And that changes the complexion of the field a little bit. And there is just something cool because make no mistake about it from a sportsman standpoint, having one super comp at Indy, like it's probably the single biggest thing I've ever done in NHRA drag racing. But Indy isn't a super comp, super gas deal. Indy is a class racing deal. Like stock and super stock is the U.S. Nationals. Like through class eliminations, the way that the event's structured, like winning one of those classes at Indy, even just competing in those classes at Indy is a big, big deal. So I just uh, hope that this change doesn't take away that atmosphere. Because just as a, all I, I've never run stock or super stock at Indy. I've always run 890 and 990. But I love watching that whole atmosphere from teardown to qualifying. I mean, we were there when, when we had the racing RVs deal. We were parked, Jed, like basically in the back of the staging lanes, in the back of the sportsman lanes. And I remember getting there, you know, I mean, you, the time trials start on Wednesday. We get in, you know, late Tuesday night or in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, and it's literally the sun's not up yet. I think that the stock eliminator qualifying session starts at 7 a.m., and it's like 5.15, and I get woke up because I can hear people pushing the stockers up next to our motorhome where it's parked there at the back lanes and beginning to ice down. Like the sun is an hour and a half from being up. And I just sit up in bed and start laughing because I'm like, this is unbel- this is indie. You know what I mean? Because the idea is you want to be the first pair of that first session, not just to say you were the first card on the track at Indy, but to have the best conditions to try to qualify because there are going to literally be 50 cars within a tenth of you. And it might be 300 slower at 830 than it is at 701, right? And that's it's huge. Yes, and, and that's the mindset of the whole thing. So my only hope here, or fear, so to speak, is that this minimization of the stock and super stock classes, although it doesn't seem like much on paper, I just hope that it doesn't diminish that atmosphere, because that is one of, if not the coolest things about Indy. Yeah, Luke, don't mistake. I, I'm very happy for the top sportsmen, top dragster guys. Um, they they put a lot into our sport and deserve an opportunity to compete on that stage. As we all know, it is, uh, you know, the big go. What I hate about this is out of those 30 worst qualifiers that no longer get the opportunity to go race, 25 of those guys were not surprised. They knew they wasn't fast enough to get in Indy. But they went anyway, which just shows how much passion they have just to just want to be part of it. Just want to be in the experience and and see what it's all about. See some of their racing heroes. Uh, Those guys knew they couldn't get in, but they went anyway, which, you know, is what this is all about. Really, people people going anyway. And now they don't even get the opportunity to go be part of the experience. So I just hate that for those those racers at that 30 worst again. 
there might be a handful of people that went, well, I thought my stuff was faster than that, or it just didn't run right. It was acting up, whatever, and I can't believe I didn't get a chance. But 25 of them, they're like, crap, we knew we wasn't getting in anyway. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, probably 29 of them went in knowing that it was a very realistic possibility that they were going to go to Indianapolis to race. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so they went anyway, spent that week mm-hmm. parking, getting there, paying just hotel rooms just to be there and, and i've heard you talk about indy and you're a guy that goes knowing you don't go unless you think you got an opportunity to win these guys knew they had no opportunity to win still went I, I just hate that now they're excluded but somebody had to go it's uh, like you said that these top sportsmen top dragster guys don't roll in with open trailers so <laughs> they had to make some room somewhere no doubt and frankly like i just want to give kudos on the flip side of this to that top sportsman top dragster community whether this is like the actions of the drivers committee whether this is i know that those communities are really strong and tight-knit and i don't know the details behind this i don't know if this is division directors pushing for this i don't know if this is joe fisher at racing rvs you know who is obviously a huge supporter of top sportsman top dragster i don't know if i know that he had pushed for this i don't know if he had a huge impact but kudos to them for actually pulling this off because to be completely honest jed I'm shocked that the quote-unquote bean counters at NHRA let this go through. Because think about this from their perspective. You're basically taking away 60 entry fees from stock and super stock. And let's be 100% clear. If you enter the U.S. Nationals in Stock Eliminator and you're qualifier number 152, like you don't get that 385 bucks back. Like, oh, you didn't get to race. Like, no, like you just didn't qualify. They keep all that money. Right. So now you take away 60 of those entry fees that are just completely profit. And granted, you're bringing in whatever 80 entry fees for top dragster and top sportsman. But along with that, you two full class purses. So the trade off doesn't make sense financially for an HRA. Like they are losing money, quote unquote, from by adding top dragster and top sportsman to this mix and taking away those 30 stockers and 30 super stockers. There's obviously something behind the scenes there to justify that. And maybe it is as simple as, hey, we want to put our two most exciting sportsman classes on display at this biggest event. And maybe there's more to it than that. But regardless, I'm surprised that it came to fruition just from a financial standpoint and want to give credit wherever it's due for the people behind the scenes that made that happen. Yeah, great point. And those 60 stockers and super stockers will stage 100 times faster than the 80 top dragster <laughs> and top sportsman racers that's been at it. So the program slows down financially. It don't seem to make sense. So there might have been some uh, sponsorship influence there from Joe or whomever. And again, very happy for him. Just hate it for those other 60 that won't get to be a part of it. Jed, anything else before we get out of here? Luke, there's probably a lot of stuff that we need and need to talk about and want to talk about, but we've got a whole 2019 season to, to get that stuff going. So hopefully we didn't make too many people mad, but if we did, let us hear from you. I want to get some get some notes tell us what we did right and what we did wrong yeah and just in general for the listenership like we would like some feedback how have you guys liked this interview 
presentation you know that we've done for the last couple of months i think it's been really cool to get to know some of the champions some of the movers and shakers in our sport how much would you like to see that format continued obviously we're going to get back into a little bit more discussion like we did today now that there's racing to talk about again or at least soon on the horizon there will be real racing to talk about again we're going to mix things up a little bit as we go and at this point our plans for the 2019 Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast are at least a little bit fluid and can be influenced by your feedback. So let us know what you think of the various formats that we throw out there. Big Jed, you can tell that I'm out of practice. You can tell that I haven't done this in a couple of months. I haven't been keeping up with shout outs. Definitely should have been keeping up with shout outs. I will shout out producer Mark and the folks at the English language for clarifying with me. Apparently, niche and niche are both fine, are both acceptable. I'm calling it right here. From this point forward, for me, it's finding that target niche because it just like to me it just sounds so much more educated. Like that's something I think I should hear at a Harvard <laughs> business party. So you here, Willie, can stick with niche. It's now my niche to say niche. <laughs> we do miss the shout outs, Luke, but listeners, rest assured, we will get back to our standard show format very soon and We'll be talking about the normal things that we talk about and having a great time. We appreciate you tuning in. Certainly, same rules apply. Be sure to message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Tell us what you think, what we did right, what we did wrong. That goes all the way back to where the show took a little bit of a change uh, late 2018. If you hated it, if you loved it, if you like, I wasn't crazy about it, but I get it. Everybody needs a little bit of a break. Just tell us whatever you're feeling. You can uh, certainly at Luke or myself right there on Twitter. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Be sure to um, support the sponsors that bring this show to you. They've uh, stuck with us for quite a while now, and we're very thankful to have each and every one of them. Look forward to highlighting them again as the 2019 podcast season gets rolling. And we thank you guys for tuning in. And can't wait to talk to you again very soon about some more sportsman drag racing. One thing to close on, and I know we tend to drag out these uh, these closing moments, but for those of you that are still listening, that are engaging with this podcast in whatever form that you're engaging with this podcast, do us a favor and like it, subscribe, share, comment. You can give us a review, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever the various formats that we were on. I'll be completely honest with you. I have no idea how that works, but it helps us in the metrics if you do that. So that looks really good for our advertisers. And let's be completely honest. If our advertisers are happy, we're happy. Me, Jed, Mark, we're happy. And again, you're, you're wondering, like, why do I care? Like, if we're happy, ultimately, you're getting a better show. So don't do it for us. Do it for you. Make a comment, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. Not because it benefits us, but because we're in a better mood and we make a better show. And ultimately, it <laughs> benefits you. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all winter. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on 
Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular season opener kicks off February 1st through 3rd at State Capitol Raceway in Port Allen, Louisiana. The Double Race Weekend is tailored to State Capitol Raceway's weekly racing program featuring top, mod, and junior dragsters on Moser Engineering Saturday and Sunday. Top racers will be racing for $5,000 on a $150 entry fee for the weekend, while mod racers will race for $2,500 with only a $100 entry fee for the weekend. Saturday will also feature a Quick 16, Street, and Top Door Slammer classes. So come on out for low entry fees, double entries permitted in Top ET and Mod ET. You'll get track championship points, excellent payouts, all IHRA and NHRA credentials are accepted at the event, a national contingency program is available for all IHRA members who advance to the final rounds each day. The weekend program includes a test and tune, racer appreciation cookout, golf cart race, round prizes will be awarded to top mod and junior competitors during the first through third rounds. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. 
You can dream of that feeling all you want. Or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.